Thank you so much for joining me this week on Teach Me How to Money. We're here with David Rines, who is the executive director of the Marijuana Business Association. Hey, Dave. Good morning, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Hey, where are you? Uh, where are you based out of? Oh, I'm calling you from sunny Las Vegas. Oh, that sounds very nice. It is not sunny where we are in New York. I know, and it's terrible because it's only going to hit the low 70s today. So we're <laughs> really bad about telling you all that. Well, one day we'll have nice weather again. We're just get, we're getting some snow this weekend, so um, we're thinking of you in Vegas right now. Thinking of you longingly. <laughs> as, as the groundhog figures out what he's going to do. Absolutely. So I'm really glad I'm talking to you because uh, you are um, an expert in all things related to the cannabis industry. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's saying a lot. The cannabis industry is quite expansive, quite a horizontal revolution, if you will. But um, I have been running the uh, Marijuana Business Association for five years. So I have a little bit of uh, resource. So I'm happy to share whatever I can with you. So let's just start off real quick. When we talk about the marijuana industry and the cannabis industry, what are we talking about? Well, so you're talking about the fastest growing uh, industry in America and one of the fastest growing segments in the world. Cannabis is not a new industry in this country. We've had a robust underground cannabis market uh, since the 60s. And we've had a budding, legitimate medical marijuana market since the mid-90s. California passed their regulations in 1996. Washington followed in 1998. So there's been 20 years of legal, quote-unquote, uh, although it's always been federally interdicted medical marijuana in this country. Today, there are some 29 or 30, depending on how you slice the legislation, states that do permit medical cannabis in one form or another. Each state is a little unique in its regulations and what it can sell and to whom and all that. There are now, with the signing of Vermont, nine legal adult use states, plus uh, District of Columbia and Guam and Puerto Rico. So all of those, 21 plus, you can buy a whole variety of products. Uh, and then there are two additional cannabis segments, industrial hemp. Well, that was my next question. So when we talk about uh, cannabis and marijuana, we're not just talking about recreational use or medicinal use. We're also talking about industrial use. That's right. Yeah, cannabis is an amazing plant. And like corn, depending on how you cultivate it and breed it, it will manifest a different characteristics. So in industrial hemp, we can breed it for seeds or oil or stalk or fiber or a whole host of other attributes. And it's used in everything from medicines to fuels, food, fabric, health and beauty aids. It goes on and on and on. Really anything you can do out of plastic, you can do out of hemp. And hemp is derived from the same cannabis plant. Uh, the difference is really in the genetics, how they breed it, and for adult use or medical cannabis, oftentimes they're breeding for a higher percentage of THC for the efficacy of that medicine. And in industrial or in CBD, they are optimizing the other cannabinoids. So CBD is cannabidiol and there's CBD. There's a number of elements, but they're non-psychoactive. It's the same plant, but it's been bred genetically differently. 
So I have a question for you. So you just mentioned Vermont. Um, tell me what the industry looks like in 2018 and what's what's happening this year and what's making it a particularly exciting time for those who are following the sector. Well, the the, the big news, of course, in 2018, what, what I've been, uh, as I said, the Marijuana Business Association uh, started in Washington State back in 2012 and quickly spread to Colorado. And then as legality spread, so did we into places like Oregon and Nevada. Now what's really exciting, and for the last year, I've been on a tour called the Canifest Destiny Tour, which is kind of like Manifest Destiny in the old days that said, hey, Americans are destined to go to the West Coast. In Canifest Destiny, we believe that the end of federal prohibition is destined to come back east. So the liberty that was fostered here on the West Coast is coming in a great tidal wave all the way to the east. <laughs> it has now just washed up on the shores of places like Vermont and New Hampshire and New Jersey has just gone legal. The governor has committed to instituting adult use in the most populous state in the country. And so what's really exciting to me is the mainstreaming of cannabis, the mainstreaming and commercialization of of the industry. And so in places like Boston, so Massachusetts is legal now, and places like New Jersey and New York and D.C. and Maryland just turned on their stores. So the East Coast is undergoing a tremendous revolution where they're understanding that legality isn't a possibility, it's an inevitability. And uh, all that is, is left to work out is the rules, the regulations, and how the federal government's antiquated uh, prohibition laws will be unraveled. You're bringing up a really important point. There's legal, there's legislative, and there's logistical challenges for the industry. So um, even though attitudes are changing, and I want to get back to you on that, there are a lot of actual physical challenges that companies who are growing, no pun intended, in this sector are facing right now in 2018. Yeah, so the logistics, I mean, that's really why we started the MJBA. Uh, There's a lot of legal activity. Folks, like I'm a longtime supporter of normal the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, who have been fighting to change our drug laws since uh, 1970. So, you know, you're talking about a long, long time, most of my life focused on that. However, now in states that I just mentioned that do have their own regulated cannabis industries, the challenge for those entrepreneurs is having access to all the foundational resources that every other entrepreneur already has, starting with capital. Sure. So you can't get uh, you can't get a loan if you are participating in a Schedule One drug. So I can't just go to a bank. I can't just walk into a bank and say, "Hey, I have this great small business idea, but it happens to be in this sector." They will not lend you money, even if it's a great idea. That's that's exactly the case. Wow. So they will not uh, because of the banking rules are overseen by something called FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Investigative Unit. And so because we are federally controlled or interdicted, any cash movement is considered uh, money laundering. Or So banks are very shy about giving us any commercial credit, right? So that means you can't buy real estate, you can't buy big purchase equipment, you can't invest in your employees, you can't invest in training, you can't invest in a number of things. Bundled with that is the IRS regulation called 280E 
which prohibits the taking of natural deductions from illegal businesses. And again, while we are state legal businesses, we're considered under federal law to be illegal. And so the cost of doing goods, the cost of goods sold, the COGS, are all that you can write off for your business, which means that if you're a retailer, the only cost of goods is the actual goods, right? It's the pot that you buy. Your rent your improvements, your decorations, your fixtures, your your employees, your training, your merchandising, your marketing, all of these things would normally be something that you could write off if you had a donut shop or a coffee right. shop or a liquor store. Sure, sure. Right. But if you are selling uh, uh, cannabis to adults, 21 plus, and paying the highest taxes of any segment, um, you do not have that right. So how do co- how are companies getting around this? Um, how, how do companies even begin to do business if they can't get a loan or they're having um, they're disadvantaged tax wise? Like how are how are they growing under these conditions? Well, you know, I, the marijuana industry is full of uh, what I call MacGyver entrepreneurs. <laughs> you know, uh, I like it. Uh, Yeah, stoner business people are the most creative uh, that I've ever met. And I grew up in the rock and roll and entertainment uh, industry where creativity was sort of the lingua franca. Uh, But, you know, it's uh, it's done. Number one, financing is done through uh, friends and family at the beginning. Wow. Uh, Then it was done through wealthy individuals. And at this point, five years into it, where we're six point seven billion dollars in taxed Uh, legal cannabis revenues last year, and some 10 times that size with the gray and illegal markets, we have reached the point where there's enough money, we're starting to capitalize ourselves. So you're seeing family funds come in, and you're starting to see private individuals who finally understand that, hey, this Pandora is probably not going back into her prohibitionist box. So I have a quick question for you. So what are some of the big players in the game right now? Um, Are they people that we've heard of or are they kind of underground? I mean, you know, from an investor, and I assume that's really what you want to talk about. So sort of if I were an investor, where would I be looking? Um, There's a number of segments, right? Because of the lack of logistics, the industry has had need for financing. And there are a number of folks who are providing workarounds. So I think the Canatech space is something that I would invest in. There's a number of traditional seed-to-sale players, folks like Biotrack and MJ Freeway and Aldis. And these guys are basically doing everything from tracking, so their RFID or other methods where every plant is tracked from the time it seeds or gets into the system until it's sold out to prevent leakage and that kind of stuff. So technology is something that every single cannabis industry participant needs to rely on. Uh, while there are a number of, of players who have raised some serious dollars, folks like Headset in the business intelligence segment are doing really interesting things. Leafly, which is owned by a, a privateer holdings, probably the biggest investment house in the space. They have amassed over $200 million, which they have invested in American technology. So Leafly in Canadian grows. Tilray is their big play there. And in some licensing, uh, they work with Marley Natural Brands. They just did an acquisition of a Washington edible company called The Good Ship. 
So there are a number of technology players and, and folks like that I would look at. Privateer is a good one. They're private, though, of course, so you can't invest directly in them. But what they're doing is interesting. There's a number of players that I like in the real estate play. Oh, that's interesting. Real estate. Uh, oftentimes, the investors will say that the cannabis industry is a real estate play. Huh. So as an investor, an out-of-state investor, you're prohibited from directly investing in a licensee in some cases cases, and in some cases constrained to a minority position. But if you are purchasing real estate and then licensing or leasing that real estate, oftentimes fully equipped, right, then you can both get loans for that real estate. Oh, that's so interesting. So that's what you're talking about, about like a stoner ingenuity. (laughs) So a real estate play is oftentimes how they do it. Another way they do it is holding companies where they'll split their glass stores and, you know, the head shop from the, uh, the cannabis so that they can write off the marketing costs of the glass because that's not federally illegal. So there's a lot of workarounds there. Other areas that are fascinating to me are printing, packaging. Really, I, I just led a seminar in Portland at the a cannabis a collaborative conference called Differentiate or Die. My perspective is that there's overproduction of cannabis. Wholesale prices are dropping dramatically. New entrants into the space as the most populous state in the nation, California, as Nevada with 43 million people come online, as the East Coast comes online. More and more brands competing for shelf space for attention. So branding, marketing, differentiation is the key. So all of those areas, marketing companies to create those brands, package companies to put them in awareness generating uh, environments, advertising, marketing, social media, promotion, brand building, all of those traditional activities are really coming online in an exciting way. Media, uh, the kinds of stuff that you're doing, the kind of stuff that we're doing with MJ News Network. And you're seeing, again, because the East Coast, because New York, because LA, because Nevada are coming online, you're seeing tremendous numbers of celebrities and sports figures. So sports medicine is huge. Female medicine, what Maya is doing with a menstrual, cannabis health and beauty aids, a whole new arena. So I just want to jump in. I'm so sorry to interrupt. What do you think are some of the misconceptions about the business of cannabis, especially in 2018? I mean, I, I probably live in a legal bubble because I, I spend all my life in this space. But I think there's, you know, the old notion, the Jeff Sessions, that good people don't smoke cannabis lingers in fewer and fewer places. But there are still folks who think, hey, if you're a cannabis smoker, you must not be a good citizen. So I think that the number one is that this is just a youth or gang or, you know, teenage kind of a phenomenon. Completely wrong. The the fastest growing segment, the, the predominant purchase of illegal cannabis are adults, 50 plus. These are not folks who are looking to get out of control. These are uh, mainstream folks. So the mainstream nature of cannabis users is huge. I think number two, the notion that um, it's all about just getting high. Sure. Quite honestly, the the recreational segment, the joints and the dabs and those things are the smallest of the segments, really. Industrial hemp is huge. Uh, Medicine, epilepsy, PTSD, on and on and on. Those are areas that are really taking off. Topicals, CBD, 
fast, fast, fast growing areas. So the cannabis industry is a broad industry. It's an agricultural revolution. It's a gateway into a plant-based lifestyle, into a botanical lifestyle, into a natural lifestyle that weans us off of petrochemicals and planned obsolescence and uh, conspicuous consumption. So this is my last question for you. Why do you think attitudes are changing? It seems to be changing at a fairly exponential rate. I feel like five years ago, it seemed like more of a, I keep making puns, more like a pipe dream. (laughs) So true. You know, Lindsay, five years ago, again, after we had launched here in Washington, because I spent 20 years in the media business in New York City. So I came back and we started MJBA New York. And I said, look, legal cannabis is coming to New York City. It's coming to the East Coast. And folks said, hey, you don't understand Rockefeller drug laws and we're the home of big pharma, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, no, this is a tipping point whose time has come. National attitudes around cannabis changed some time ago. And all you're seeing now is really the government and regulators catching up with what all of us already know. And that is that cannabis has been part of our society for more than 50 years. So it's inevitable. And what's changing it is these experiments. So folks in New York and New Jersey and in New Mexico and Arizona and California, they watched Colorado and Washington and they saw, wow, the sky didn't fall. We generated literally billions of dollars in new revenues. We're rebuilding schools. We're rebuilding roads. We're reducing opioid addiction, we're reducing DUIs, we're reducing domestic violence, we're increasing the vitality of communities, we're reintegrating disenfranchised segments of our society. Even the naysayers have looked around and said, hey, no negative side effects, we're generating tremendous revenues for the state, we're putting people back to jobs, 150,000 new jobs, tens of thousands of new companies. This thing is huge. There's a lot of interest from tobacco companies in getting involved in the cannabis industry. How do you see um, their involvement changing the landscape? I don't uh, see it changing in the near term. Federal prohibition and the state-by-state balkanized way that we've addressed legalization has actually been good for the small investor, it's been good for the small entrepreneur and the small business person. Uh, The reality is that the multinationals, big alcohol, big tobacco, big pharma, can't play local, local, Uh, and this is local, local, meaning Denver has different regulations and a different industry than Colorado Springs. San Francisco is different from LA. So the, the big multinational guys are interested. They're investing in technology. They're investing in lights and HIVAC. They're investing in real estate. They're investing in brands. And in some cases, Constellation Brands, uh, which is a big alcohol conglomerate, just made a significant investment in a Canadian cannabis company called Aurora. So they're playing. They're here. They're now. It's it, What will change is there'll be more money and it's the differentiator die for the players who were able to be first generation. Like the tech revolution or any emerging marketplace, you must scale or die. And so innovators prove the marketplace, but it takes deep pockets and savvy marketing wherewithal to create brand loyalty and market share. Well, thank you so much. This has been incredibly helpful. Um, I know it's something that um, Stash customers are really interested in. They're interested in knowing more about the business and what goes into it and, and how they can learn more. So you've been a great resource and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to come anytime. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. 
Send us your questions at teachmehowtomoney at stashinvest.com and we'll try to answer them on a future episode. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on the iTunes store, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Ready to start investing? Sign up for Stash and then enter the promo code PODCAST and you'll get $5 to get started on your financial journey. Stash, it's your money, simplified. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from Stash to the listener. Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash, and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of advice by Stash to the listener, nor to constitute such a person a client of Stash.